I'm a child who came in an older marriage. My dad was in his 50s when I was born. I think I was just such a joy, such a miracle that he would have children later in his life. The world revolved around us, and he was the best audience in the world. After a hard day's work, he'd sit for hours in this chair, and I could do pantomime and routines and anything, and he'd watch and he'd laugh. Humor was a wonderful unifying thing in our family. Uh, that, of course, is the unmistakable voice of comic legend Gilda Radner, the subject of a new documentary to which we are basing this whole show around. Welcome to the movie, guys, everyone. Paul Preston here with you alongside Karen Volpe for another TMG interview. Now, for this show, we have the producer of a new documentary entitled Love, Gilda. That's what that was a clip from. Uh, getting to the heart of what Gilda was all about, and of course, everything she accomplished and everything she stood for. Um, our guest also produced a TV special about Gilda in 2002 entitled Gilda Radner's Greatest Moments, which I don't know how you squeeze into an hour. <laughs> uh, he also had a hand in producing numerous other specials about comedy icons like Betty White and Bob Hope. He's also an accomplished actor as well, and we'll get into all of it with James Tominia. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Stop. Stop. And before we d actually dive too deep into chatting up uh, James, I want to mention later in the show, we'll be talking to Alan Zweibel as well, yes, executive producer exciting. of Love Gilda, and of course, longtime friend, original Saturday Night Live writer, and he'll share insight. Uh, on the making of the film and what it's all about as well. Did you say executive producer, too, yes. of the film? Oh, yeah. You did? Okay. With his wife, Robin. Wow. Right. Yes. Yes, okay. who yeah. uh, good to see her in the film as well. So let's talk about it, James, because we're fans. All right. Well, there's an elephant in the room that I want to talk about, though, and it's, it's the, a literal that is elephant. scaring me. Can I can. Wow. She's what is it? We have a Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana doll. <laughs> oh, no. They uh, merchandised Gilda. <laughs> and it's a. Uh, I don't know. If, what's that from? The early 90s? I think so. It's very dusty. Yeah, and it's a little creepy. It's not uh, the best likeness. No, it's but not maybe the energy was captured. But, uh, yeah. Um, the she, hair was captured. Uh, yeah. The suit, I the microphone yeah. was captured. Maybe I think she needs to go into the green room, maybe. <laughs> The green <laughs> dolls freak. What is this? Annabelle? The dolls freaking James out. <laughs> Completely freaking me out. Maybe she'll come back though. You never know. Hey, I should mention for everyone listening: Love Gilda in theaters right now. Right yes, now. yes, and you can find out where it's playing in your city if you go to lovegilda.com, and it's also on video on demand. Oh, wow. it's already. I yes, it the is multi-platform uh, release. Multi multi-platform. Yes, there you go. iTunes and Amazon and a whole bunch of other ones that I don't know. Oh, but, perfect. But if you go to the website, lovegilda.com, it's, it's all there. So, And I know it's expanding and changing and changing theaters, so uh, it's all over the country. Yeah, we saw it at the New Art here in Los Angeles. I played there for a week. Now moved over into Santa Monica, so you can go and see it there. Karen and I went when it opened on the 21st, our anniversary. Our anniversary, Aww. and it's also Bill Murray's birthday, so there's lots of old SNL si situations going on. Yeah, 921, mm -hmm. big day. Yes. Big day. Not just for Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, 16 years ago now, since you made the Gilda TV special, which aired a night that it was paired with the film of her book, right, right with Jamie Gertz as, mm -hmm. as Gilda Radner. Right. Why return to Gilda 16 years later? I know your fandom never goes away, but what prompted it? Okay, so, uh, the, yes, the, the special was in 2002, and I stayed attached to Gilda, or a Gilda-related project, uh, into 2003. We d dedicated her posthumous star, 
on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Oh, I visited that star and taken my picture yeah. with it. So thank you. Do you remember where it is? Well, no, here's the thing. We met you in 2005 when Karen and I were doing the Bunny Bunny uh, show imp- about Gilda Radner. And it's two years too late. I wish we knew you because we could have come uh, to the whole thing. And well, it's right fun. from what I remember because they started tearing up that area, but it was right in front of the Metro. It is, right? Yes. Yeah. Hollywood and Highland, Highland mm-hmm. Complex. Uh, back then it was the Kodak Theater. Ooh, now it's so the Dolby, Dolby Theater. Right. Main, main thoroughfare. Mm-hmm. A lot yes. of people yeah. walking on yeah. it. Oh, you don't know. Oh, I know. So and I, that, I can tell you where it is. And that's sort of like the boulevard of the Oscar winners. They, yeah. They try to keep that area reserved for uh, oh. past Oscar winners and then current Oscar winners. And uh, through a little perseverance and connections, we got Gilda her star right in front of the Metro, right in front of uh, at the Hollywood and Right where Gilda would have wanted it, where, exactly. where people are coming and going. <laughs> yes. Very uh, busy area. Traffic. And there's a lot of um, street performers who play the buckets there. So I think she would definitely dig on buckets. Among other things. It's a loud yes. place for yes. her. Star. Yeah. That's yes, a yes, question. Yes. So, so that was 2003. And Wait a minute. I, I, I do want to touch on that yeah, a little yeah. more, if you don't mind. Because I believe if I read about you correctly, there's you, like right when she passed away in 1989, you were going to move on. How do we do this for her? Yeah. And so you, and you followed it all the way oh, through? Oh, to get the star back in 89? Yeah, in 1989. Oh, she passed away in May of 1989. Yeah, back, right near my birthday. Back, I remember. Uh, mm. back, back then, in uh, so we didn't have 24 hour news cycles then. And I don't think anybody really knew how serious her cancer was that had returned, mm-hmm. that had ever left, and that she was close to dying. And then on the day she died, I was shocked and saddened because I was a huge fan, still am. And my reaction immediately was, I'm going to get her star on the Walk of Fame. And I really don't know where that came from, but that was my reaction. And, well, possibly when I was a kid and we visited Hollywood, I was really, like, that was my favorite place to visit in, in <laughs> Hollywood was the Walk of Fame. Because I thought you'd just see movie stars passing by, and that's what they do. They <laughs> well, walk by their star. And today you see people <laughs> dressed like movie stars walking by. Exactly. Yes. So, so uh, I researched it briefly in 1989 and had no idea what I was up against because it was back then it was probably $10,000, and you needed to know people, and mm-hmm. I knew no one. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, did the special in 2002, and we had... Uh, a bunch of stars appear in interviews in the special, and they were entitled to an appearance fee about, of about $1,000. And also we used clips, and those actors and actresses were entitled to a, a, an appearance fee too, a clip fee, about $1,000. So here's all this money going to people, and I just asked people, would you donate to Friends of Gilda to get her a star on the Walk of Fame? And everybody said yes. And oh, great. We got about twenty five thousand dollars. The star cost eighteen, and we partied with the seven. And yeah, there you go. <laughs> we had quite a star yes, ceremony in honor of Gilda. So Molly Shannon came to. Oh, that's uh, great. She was our host. Lorraine came, uh, Lorraine Newman came to to speak. Alan's why Bell was there with Robin. Mm. He flew in that morning. Rosie Schuster was there, and Bates was there, and a few other people from SNL. It was a big day. That's cool. Oh, and Michael Ratner was there, and I had known Michael. Oh, her brother. Her brother, yes. Mm-hmm. He flew out. And I met him in 2002 for the special. We stayed in touch, obviously, for the to dedicate the star. And so let me ask about that. So yeah. how how do you? Hey, Michael, this special is going on. Do you want to be involved, or how did you come to to befriend Michael? So I. I, I did a couple of comedy specials, and because so once you once you take a clip of an actor's performance from a movie or a TV show, you have to negotiate with them. You have to get their permission, their consent to use the clip, and then you have to 
bargain with them. They're entitled to a, a, a certain amount of money, uh, what they call a, a scale payment. So I connected with him that way. And then when ABC uh, approached me and my producing partner at the time to do a one-hour special as the um, companion piece to the two-hour biopic that was going to air after oh, right. mm -hmm. at 9 o'clock starring Jamie Gertz. Uh, that's how we met Michael. We asked him for the rights, his permission, and he was on board immediately. Certainly was happy to continue his sister's legacy on TV and for the old fans and the new fans. So Michael and I became friends, and um, I kept talking to him over the uh, during the process. I went out to Detroit to to meet with him and look through his archives, and we saw some family photographs and some home movies. Little did any of us know that there, you know, there were a lot of other gems waiting right. to be discovered, but we can get into that later. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, so if you watch the special, if you can find it, you'll see some home movies, some family so he's, photographs. he's the main handler of her yeah. entertainment estate, exactly. or, yeah. Uh, yeah. for if, lack of a better word. Yeah. I, I, thought he's, I think he's handled it well. He, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And very classy and, and such a good legacy, very strong. Yeah, uh, loves his sister, wants to uh, preserve her legacy, very involved in uh, Gilda's Club as well. So during the production of the special, when I was trying to think of how I could, you know, finagle $18,000 plus, mm -hmm. I asked Michael for his blessings to at least approach people and get his uh, sister, uh, get a Gilda star on the Walk of Fame. And he was on board. And a year later, we, we, uh, we did the dedication. So. so when did you meet Lisa Dapolito, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, who is the f director of Love Gilda? Okay, so Michael and I stayed friends since had been had stayed friends since 2003, since the star ceremony, and I would say about four years ago, he sent me an email and uh, letting me know that there was um, a woman who wanted to do a theatrical documentary on his sister, and would I talk to her? And I, of course, immediately said yes, I would do yeah. anything for Michael, and of course for for Gilda. So Lisa and I had a couple of meetings. I know we, we met in New York, probably some phone calls. I think I was working in Burbank at the time. She came to, uh, to my job. And to we, Lisa? We to Lisa Dapolito. What has she done before this? Anything? Not that she, she has to have. She, Just curious. Well, I, I knew I, when we met, I knew she was leaving. I think she was leaving the uh, advertising world. Oh, great. Yeah. And, okay. And she was also doing, but more um, specific to Gilda's Club, she was doing videos for them. Oh, yeah. that absolutely makes sense then. Yeah, yeah. And I knew there had to be an organic connection. Yes, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah. Um, uh, she had been working with Gilda's Club in New York. Lisa is based in New York. And uh, we started talking, and I hope I opened all the channels of in my in my mind to share my, my experience with uh, navigating the world of Gilda Radner, producing the special and... I would think that you'd be a uh, no-brainer go-to since well, you've been there before. You. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and you're also very good at it. So you're a win-win, well, you know? Well, it's, it's tr yeah. tricky because, yeah, you're honoring somebody, but then there's, you know, there's so many different levels and organizations mm -hmm. and people that are involved, you know. It's, it's you know. And, but, I but can't imagine. That's part of producing. Yeah, yeah I can't imagine it's Tempering easy. the yeah. emotions of everybody yeah. like that. Right? And also, um, I think I give uh, her brother a lot of credit as well because he knows that there's this legacy that he wants portrayed in a certain way, a life that he can be proud of, that his sister can be proud of. And so when he had worked with you, he saw that that was possible and so I, I understand why he would say, let's keep somebody in there to keep, you know, involved that I trust. Well, I, I was I would think. very honored that he uh, he made the connection and mm -hmm. the introduction. 
And so that was about four years ago, as I said. And then uh, October of 2016, Lisa had she had she had been on the project for about two years at that point. I know she had done interviews with Alan Zweibel, Robin Zweibel, some of the writers, Gilda's friends, best friends, oh, uh, yeah. Michael Radner yep. and Lorraine Newman and Stephen Schwartz, I think at that time. I liked her best friends. Her friends are the best. I really like that, too. You never really get that in a documentary where people think to go, hey, why don't we just talk to the people that were there when she was hanging out, when she was being funny because she may have been insecure. I think that's fascinating. And you know what you're going to get from an interview with Marty Short? Oh, he's brilliant. You know what you're going to get from an interview with Bill Hader or Mm -hmm. Amy Poehler? But those, those, those friends were the nice discovery in the film, yeah. among, yeah. Man, among many. And uh, Pam and Judy were just so honest and brave you know, to share those kind of stories, uh, personal yeah. stories about their best friend. Uh, and some of them really funny and like the, the boyfriend section. Yes, uh, <laughs> that was great. You caught some <laughs> wonderful moments when um, they're having discovery in the moments about pictures they're looking at. That was lovely. Well, that, that was a revelation to me. I, didn't, I hadn't, did not see that in 2002. That, that was great. So that must have been fun for Lisa to be in the room while they were going through the, the boyfriend book. The boyfriend book. <laughs> the boyfriend book, I mean, yes. there were so many boyfriends. Gilda's book of boyfriends, oh. <laughs> yes. And there's, a, you know, the tushy guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Amazing. Still, uh, still don't the know The tushy guy in the, the shower. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Fabulous. So somewhere he's out there. But whoever the <laughs> dummy is who took her to Toronto, thank you, sir. Thank you for <laughs> that guy. Got her in the right crowd up there. Yes. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. So I so I get this email October of 2016. Lisa says, would you come on board? And I've been on board ever since. And it was some of the wrangling of celebrities that kind of became one of your things as well, well correct? Yeah. Your your question was, how did I, you know, stay, if I you know, paraphrase badly, but how did I come back to Gilda? So... Michael made the introduction. Lisa came, uh, approached me about coming on board, and my thing was like, you know, I had done a, a special with uh, for Gilda in, in 2002, the star ceremony. What else could I bring to the table? And and by that time, by 2016, I had, I had been working in different areas of the biz, <laughs> and I had access to different agents and publicists and representatives, and I thought I could just I would love to bring. Um, A-list talent, mm-hmm. um, more A-list talent to the to the table to elevate the project. To uh, you know, it is a business, so get it you know more attention in the marketplace. And Lisa was on board with that, and she had a wish list. And I was going to comment on your uh, selection because the one thing that struck me when I was watching it is I speak to Amy Poehler. And so Amy Poehler was at Second City the time that Paul and I were there because we all kind of, it's this weird incestuous thing where the way it was set up is like she would be considered in my mind, if you're thinking of Paul and I as freshmen at Second City, like in the, if it were a high school, Amy would have been the senior and she was doing um, work at Second City, but she was also doing Improv Olympic. And what was so neat is she would, I think she would coach, I'm not sure if she was teaching at Improv Olympic, but when she was at Improv Olympic, Amy would work with a man named Del Close. And Del Close was one of Gilda Radner's teachers. And so I know this because whenever I was studying Gilda Radner lore and history when I was a teenager, I wanted to study with her teachers. And I knew she kept talking about someone named Del Close. So I went to Chicago specifically to make sure I studied with Del Close, which I eventually did. But Amy Poehler also, if you ask her, she had a connection to Del Close and the Upright Citizens Brigade, which later became UCB was all because of her connection with Del Close and the other people um, in the improv world at that time who were studying with Del. 
And of course she would be the perfect person to have speak about Gilda Radner. That's amazing. Yeah, and by that time, I, I know Gilda's Club had honored Amy um, with an award in cool. New York. And you know, you, you sit in a room with Amy and you just say the word Gilda and she yeah. can mm-hmm. just go on and on and on. And, and she's wonderful, she's lovely. Well, let's hear her go on here in the, in the film. Oh, I got just a brief clip. Look at that. Yeah, I basically stole pretty much almost all of my characters from Gilda. Myself and another writer, Emily Spivey, would sit in her office and just look at old Gilda sketches and talk about how amazing she was and then just do very weak 2.0 versions <laughs> of what she did. Not a bad jumping off point. <laughs> no, that's a good place to start. It's a safe, strong place to start. Yeah, they would. Uh, so the, the list also includes Cecily Strong, uh, Bill Hader, Melissa McCarthy, uh, and many, many, many more. And, uh, and any... Interesting stories about wrangling. Uh, was it easy? Was it difficult to track people down? I'm sure people would want to do it, but were schedules a pain? Or are we recording this? <laughs> <laughs> Any that you can share. Okay, well that's a no. Hmm. No, no, I'm kidding. no, no, it's no. Okay. Yeah, the, the great thing about when you you approach somebody and ask them to do something that involves Gilda Radner, yes, it's it's yeah. yes. Where can I be? When can I be? Let's just make it work. So yeah, there's always wrangling because these people are busy. You know. Right. Um, uh, Amy was had it was just announced in the press that she was doing some new productions uh, that would you know go to probably digital streaming or network television. Uh, when we got to Bill, he was on the f- I think the pilot or maybe a couple of episodes into Barry on HBO. So we went to his office um, on the Sony lot where they film. Uh, Melissa, when we met with her, she was doing a movie in New York. Uh, Maya, that night she was doing a concert. I can't think of the name of the venue, but it's downtown, and she has a she has a, a singing partner, and they do it's a Prince cover band. Oh, that's I think cool. The Princesses, I think it's called. That's cool. Uh, so, yeah, wrangling, and but it was great to get all of the Martin Short running around Lord, the world. You got Lord, Lauren Michael. Yeah. Yes, we that was. It took us a while because you know he does that show every Saturday night. <laughs> He's real busy. It's cool. Yeah, so. We had to 44th wait. year this year. Yeah, Good for him. Crazy, yeah. right? Oh, no, he's going to... By the way, this is coming out on the day that we're dealing with Kavanaugh. He's going to have some stuff. Are they <laughs> in production right now? Yeah, no, this Oh, uh, I can't wait to see it. Tomorrow night's the premiere. Oh, yeah. fantastic. Yes, yes. <laughs> with the... Uh, um, oh, who's the host? Adam, Adam Driver. Adam oh, Driver, yeah. perfect. Adam Driver. Well... I and I'm sure know. there'll be some surprise uh, guests. Ho- guests. I would hope like, so. Stars. You'd think. Yeah. I w- I'm <laughs> you. thinking there might you be think, a couple. Uh, Alec Baldwin might yeah. be available. If he's so. free. But, but yeah, so we, you know, obviously Lauren was one of our, uh, he, he just had to be in the movie. There was no yeah. question about it. And we were patient and finally got him on a Thursday before a show. And it was the snowiest day of New York. <gasps> and we I was concerned, the producer, me saying, oh no, what if they cancel because yeah. there's snow and New York shuts down. And, no one ever called, and no, we have a show to do on, on He's Saturday He's a New night. Yorker. Yeah, he exactly. can handle a little snow. Yeah. I'm an ex-New Yorker, but still, you, <laughs> you, just, you think all of these contingencies, what if? Yeah, and, and also um, you think that sometimes people, if they are busy and they're trying to squeeze you in, will use an excuse to just go, well, there's too much snow. And then they can go do something else. But he showed up. And so, and that's the, great. It's, it's just that we were in the green room at Studio 8H. Oh, nice. And if you <gasps> pull the curtain oh. open, you can see them rehearsing. And we saw Alec Baldwin 
And I believe it was Mikey Day uh, rehearsing a sketch that was maybe some sort of like a, they were doing extras. It was a gym sketch or anything like something like that. But yeah, so, and to prove the show goes on, while we were interviewing Cecily and then Lorne, you know, you see Kate McKinnon would pop her head, she popped her head in and A.D. Bryant did and, and like, yep, they're, yep, they got a show. There yeah. they are. By Thursday, they're all yeah. They're yes. just, I'm surprised you saw heads. Most of them are running around with those cut off. Everybody was there <laughs> rewriting. And um, I I don't want to spoil the movie because I want everyone to go out and see it. But I do want to speak on one thing that I learned that was one of my favorite things in the movie was that um, I've seen a bunch of things about Gilda, a lot of them that you've produced, and I found something new in this. As you're going to as well, if you're a fan of Gilda's, you'll still learn new things. I loved the point where they said that Gilda, she felt weird going to see Ghostbusters because she dated most of them. <laughs> I just thought that was, that was my, that is my favorite Awkward. movie with yeah. my favorite comedian talking about it. And that made me really happy. We won't, we won't spoil the, uh, the there's no reveal. Okay. We'll get the, mm-hmm. you're, you're we won't tell it's who, between us. yes, but it's so fun. What a fun moment. And, and, and to be able to keep surprising Gilda fans with this movie, I thought that was a really cool gem of an idea is that you brought lots of video footage and lots of sound bites and and diaries. Things that we have not seen yet are in this movie. It's just really compelling. Yeah, many of the celebrities who appear in the film are reading from her journals mm-hmm. and and some of them are caught up in it and a bit of emotional course. like Amy and Melissa McCarthy. Were there any reactions that didn't make the cut that you were on set going, wow, you know, but we didn't have room for it or anything. Because a lot of it's right there. So perhaps no, but. Yes, a lot, unfortunately, made, you know, it was cut because of of time. Because, you know, a lot of times when you set up these interviews, you'll get maybe 10, 20 minutes, max 30. Amy went beyond an hour. Um, Bill Hader went beyond an hour. I, I you know, I, and you don't you don't want to overstay your welcome. But I think they were just so in the moment and so in love with Gilda. And then when uh, Lisa presented them with Gilda's journals, oh. it just took it to another level. And the, the surprise. Someone mentioned the word surprise. What surprised me about Bill Hader is you watch him on back in the day. Watch him on Saturday Night Live. He's the one who's always cracking up, and that just just mm-hmm. it just takes that that sketch to another level. So I didn't expect him to crack up, but I didn't expect him to be so emotional. Yeah. And that was so he maybe he was quiet, if I remember. It's yeah. almost like he took a moment. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it, it was like handing someone. You know, this well, is my favorite comedians are the ones who are knowledgeable of what came before them, and you can yeah. tell that's certainly the case with people like Melissa and Bill and Hader. Amy and Amy. Oh, Amy's mm-hmm. a huge Absolutely. student of that. Yeah, and it's. And it's all up there on the screen. Well, speaking of celebrities who were on the screen, you did interview Alan Zwei Bell, and so did we. Yay! So we did that earlier today. We're going to play that uh, interview for you, for you now. Well, we are thrilled to have now on the phone, braving late hours on the East Coast to talk to us, one of the executive producers of Love, Gilda, and of course, a dear friend to Gilda, a relationship he captured expertly in his book and play, Bunny Bunny, Gilda Radner, a sort of romantic comedy, one of the original writers from the early years of Saturday Night Live and producer of other great comedies such as Curb Your Enthusiasm, and it's Gary Shandling's show, Alan Swybell. Yay! 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 A rousing round of applause. Um... So you have taken many deep dives into Gilda's life, not only personally, but in all of your writings. And and uh, did you learn anything new by making what I'm calling the definitive Gilda Radner documentary? Did you learn anything new after doing all this exploring and, and research with all the other producers and people who came on board? Well, that's a wonderful question. You know, as well as I knew her, 
I just saw the movie again tonight. This was my fourth time. <laughs> and I um, discovered things in it that I hadn't seen in it before. And it's sort of, um, it, it, it delves really deep into Gilda's psyche. She reads from her journal. You see the writing. Uh, and I remember her always writing into these notebooks. And I didn't know what she was writing. And they were private thoughts. And when you see that and you hear her say, you know, my comedy is my way of getting love. Okay. And you see that she tried to figure out who she was as a person. Yeah, there was the public Gilda, the one that everybody adored. And, and, and she was that way in real life to her friends. But in her, when she was alone, in her privacy, she was still, as far as she was concerned, the fat girl that she was when she was growing up. And um, she was looking for love. And um, so I don't know, for some reason, when I saw this film again tonight, uh, it struck home a little deeper. So how important then is, is is it to you to have this doc out there? I mean, that I'm right. Like I'll ask the whole group here with me and you. This is the first big doc. We've had specials. We've had, you know, compilations of her greatest work. But this is the real first documentary. Well, yeah, this is this is this is a peek into the uh, into the soul, and it's not only you know the performance and there's plenty of footage. You'll laugh a lot, but. This is very, very important. It's important to me as a person and somebody who knew and loved her. She's the godmother of mine and my wife Robin's three kids. Uh, and I'm thrilled that there's this archival piece of work right now that people get to know, her, especially younger people who may not have known her. Uh, but also there's a great nostalgic part and you get to know the soul. You get to know what made this person tick. So the woman that I knew, um, I feel like the whole world can share her now. Hmm. That's well put. Did, so did were you at the beginning of the project, or did you come along as... Uh, oh, I came along. I, You know, I didn't direct this. Right, right. A right. woman named Lisa Dapolito did. And once she got the idea to do it, she called me and my wife, Robin, and I think we were the first people that she interviewed for it. But as her process went on, we kept on giving her photos, gave her home movies. You know, when uh, this film opened the Tribeca Film Festival and our three children came, they're now in their 30s, and they came to see their Aunt Gilda, you know, this uh, movie about her. And my son Adam, who's 37, said, oh, yeah, I remember that Seder. And my daughter <laughs> Lindsay going, oh, that's me on the couch yes. over there. That's right, Lindsay's in the film. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's a lot of home movies there. Robin and I had an engagement party uh, where we rented at a, a, a restaurant in downtown New York called Sammy's Romanian Restaurant. Right. That was our engagement party. <laughs> so, uh, And there's one part there where you see Gene and Gilda singing Happy Birthday to Adam. They, they called him Adman. Well, that's our son. That's his first <laughs> birthday party. So it's... it's um, so as we kept on giving her more photos and more home movies, and I started hel helping her get people to be in the movie, okay? Since I was part of the Saturday Night Live family, mm -hmm. there was a sense of validation that maybe my presence uh, gave it. So she said, would you like to be an executive producer on it? She asked my wife and I, and we said, sure, okay? But 
the gritty part of it, you know, the um, the going through archival, except for the stuff that we went through of our own and gave to her, I, there's a lot of pictures in there that I had never seen before. Oh, wow. There's a lot of parts, uh, you know, Gilda's home movies that I had never mm-hmm. seen. I knew her family, okay, and, you know, she and I uh, uh, were close, so I knew people in it from her past, but... Um, you know, I didn't see her as an overweight girl trying to make her dad laugh. Right. You know, things that really touch your heart and get you into the soul of who she was. Did you uh, did you ever find a muse quite like her later in your career? Uh, yeah, I've been lucky. This no one liked Gilda because she was an individual, and still, when I write, when I, uh, I, there's a part of her, um, she's on a shoulder. Okay, uh-huh. and I would think that. Um, on my other shoulder is Gary Shanling. Yeah. That's what I thought. I, yeah, that would have been my guess. I, I had yeah. created a show with him called It's Gary Shanling Show. Yeah. And even when we stopped working together, um, he was so smart and so spiritual. Um, and I knew what what his process was. Um, there was something that he brought to writing and that he brought out of other writers. A lot of young writers. They flocked to him. You speak to Judd Apatow. You speak to Ed Solomon, who wrote Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and then uh, Men in Black. You know, we all attribute a lot of our success as writers to Gary. So I have him with me as well. But there was no one like Gilda because, um, you know, uh, it was the first one. SNL was my first job. Mm -hmm. I was 25, you know, uh, she was 29. And um, we went on this adventure together, and um, it was a boy-girl thing, you know. It was a um, this platonic love affair that we had, and so uh, she has a special place. But I would think that lightning struck a second time with Shanling. What was it like to get Gilda to do that show, the, the Shanling show? It was a huge thing. She loved the show. She had uh, she was already diagnosed. Okay. And I talk about in the movie uh, that she um, was afraid to do it. You know, she hadn't been on TV for six, seven years. She looked differently than people had remembered her. And so when she, but she felt she had to come on, that she had a, it was a, a comedy was her only weapon that she had against the cancer. She wrote a lot of jokes about cancer that are in the show. And what was great for us because everyone idolized her. Gary was nervous that week because he, he venerated her. And the rest of the cast, oh my God, look who's coming to work with us. But what it did for Gilda was immeasurable also. She felt an audience for the first time in so many years. Yeah, she had done movies, but you, you, when you do a movie, you're just trying to make, the, you know, who's there? The crew. Right. You know, here you had 300 people in a studio audience where she hadn't been since I'd say she had done a Broadway play called Lunch Hour. I want to say it was 1981-ish. That's right. Okay? Yes, 19, 1980, 1981 with Sam Waterston. 1981. Yeah. Okay, since then, all she did were movies. Mm-hmm. So now she came on a TV show. Yeah, she did talk shows, I'm sure. But here she played. This was that's, This is different. She, she was acting. And um, there was an audience there, and it energized her. And she felt better for it, mm-hmm. you know. So whatever she got from an audience, the love and the feedback and the in the applause and the laughter, it it invigorated her. So um, it it was great for everyone. 
you know, we're sitting here in a studio, and not that we're fans or anything, but I have my hanky panky and haunted honeymoon posters up. Uh, did you ever think? Did you ever think of writing a film for Gilda? I wrote a film for Gilda right as soon as we left SNL. Uh, she wanted to do it, and it went through the whole Hollywood machine and uh, wasn't made. Had she um, had she lived, um, I, I would have hoped to have done that. Yeah, yeah, yeah because um, uh, to this day, when I think of a woman to write for, uh, my favorite kind are the ones who had Gilda's uh, attributes. Just out of curiosity, how did you get hired for SNL? I got hired for SNL because I was a I was a joke writer for Catskill comedians, you know, comedians in the Catskill <laughs> yeah. Mountains. Yeah. They who paid me seven dollars yeah. a joke. Oh, that's great. Now you're I talking about where I'm from. So. Uh, are, you, are you from the Catskill uh, Mountain area? The north end, Oneonta. It's up oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, those guys were giving me seven dollars a joke. Uh, this is out of college. And it was hard for me to write for them because they were twice my age and the sensibilities were different. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I was going to take the jokes and do them myself. So I got on stage at one of the comedy showcases in New York and uh, delivered the jokes because I was hoping that I can just advertise myself as a writer. Way. And um, one night, a guy named Lorne Michaels came in and he was looking for writers and actors for this new show that he was going to have in the fall. He liked my material. He asked to see more. We had a meeting, and um, I gave him 1,100 jokes that I had written. <laughs> and a couple of days later, I, I got uh, a phone call that I got a job on this new show. Wow. Was transitioning to writing sketches at all challenging? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, well, yeah, I, I'm, what was challenging was the fact that, yeah, when I say not at all, that that's a partial lie. <laughs> it, 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 it was fun to do because uh, the actors were so inspiring. But, they, you know, it, but it was uh, totally collaborative because look who you had there. You had Danny, you had John Belushi, you had Gildy, you had Lorraine Newman. These were people who were great improv players. Mm -hmm. So they took something that you wrote and made it that much better, you know. And I learned from them. Yeah, that's the best. That's that, That's, yeah. That's exactly how you need that to go for it to be this iconic comedy landmark. Do you remember? Sure. Uh, do you remember when you first connected with Gilda? Well, it was the very first meeting that we had up in SNL. I was hiding behind a tree because I was really <laughs> nervous. Oh yeah. And she came behind the tree because she was nervous, and um, uh, we met back there. And we right away we started writing together. That's a, of course a big scene in in your play, and the reference to what's the the howdy duty, the female howdy duty, Debbie duty, Debbie duty, Debbie duty. Yeah, that's see that. her in the film. Well, she's in the film. <laughs> Look, the fact of the matter was, it was a disaster. That sketch was a disaster. Nobody laughed. It was stupid. And Gilda, just like you see in the movie, she wasn't going to go out with egg on her face. So she saw that she had strings and Lorraine was there. And she decided that she'd tie her up and just become totally, you know, the rapper with all the strings. I didn't write that. Gilda saved my ass. <laughs> How great would Gilda have been on Curb Your Enthusiasm? Oh, she would have been perfect. Yeah. She, she would have been perfect because Curb, is not scripted. It's improv. Larry writes, uh, you know, detailed outlines. 
I did an episode of it, and I, you know, he gives you he gives you the story beats. You say whatever you want, but hit these notes because that's our plot. Mm-hmm. But say it any way you want. And Gilda, being a master at improv, would have been hilarious on that show. Hey, Alan, it's Karen here. Um, so my question is, when you were writing with Gilda, what was your process? Did one of you bring in an idea and then you batted it back and forth and somebody wrote it down? Or did one person write it out mostly? It, it could work a number of ways. It's a wonderful question. Thank you. I could have an idea and I say, hey, listen, um, you know, do you want to play uh, Lucille Ball hosting a uh, morning show called Bad Clams? And she'd go, <laughs> fine. And then we'd start riffing on it. Okay. Right. And and, and I'd be in her office or we would take legal pads and go to a restaurant and she would do Lucy for me. And I would ask questions when we would write Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana. Oh, yeah. I would have uh, I would take something out of the news and uh, say, hey, you know, it's national um, smoke out week or something where people were told to quit smoking. Why don't we do that? OK, fine. What uh, what location? Well, what, what about uh you know, a gym. You went to a gym because you gained weight, because you, you quit smoking. Fine. What famous person do you want to see in a compromising position? Uh, okay, what? Joyce Brothers with the sweat ball on the nose. Fine. Okay, and then we would sit there, and I just, she would just run off at the mouth. I'd write down things as quickly as I could. Many times I would navigate her because I said, okay, that was good. Keep going that way with it. Okay, that sucks. Go another way with it, you know. And then I would have, let's say, 14 pages. And then I'd go back to my office and try to whittle them down to four mm-hmm. or five. So she can, or she can have an idea, and she'll come to me and say, "Can you help me be a parakeet?" Right. Because one time she said, "Can you, can you, can you write about why I love being a fireman?" I said, <laughs> "I have no idea what that means, but let's do it." <laughs> you know. So it, it, it could work all sorts of ways. Oh, that's great. Uh, well, we've. Fo- if you want to know more about Alan and Gilda's relationship, watch Bunny Bunny. Uh, it's being performed here and there through. You know, Karen and I did it in 2005 here in LA and back in Western New York, where Karen is from. Years ago, in 1994, we were there in New York when Jason Alexander and uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus first performed it there. That's right. Yeah. That J- was to raise money to form Gilda's Club. Yeah. Yes. James, James and Karen and I, we're going to share, we went to this Gilda event uh, back and forth, no doubt, this whole show. <laughs> but uh, is there any news about something, anything new going on with Bunny Bunny? Well, there's some producers who want to bring it back to New York. Great. It would be really premature for me to say it's definitely going to happen, but um, it's turning some heads. Love Gilda is certainly um, putting, you know, making Gilda, um, putting her out there again the way it's been received. And um, the producers are looking for a director as we speak, so who knows? I, I have my fingers crossed that it will. Alan, whenever Paul and I did Bunny Bunny, the one thing that really stuck with me is when we performed it at the Gilda's Club in Buffalo, New York. And at one point near the end of the play, because it was in their rec hall, so there were no fancy lights, we could see everything, the women slowly passed around a box of tissues, and they all just sort of enjoyed each other. They just kind of cried together. But it was beautiful, and it was wonderful, and it was a nice experience with us and, like, 50 people. Oh, that's great to hear. I'm very happy to hear this. Well, this is kind of a lame, wide-net question, but we, we talked about the, the documentary covering not just her comedic career, but also her family and some of her 
uh, challenges and perhaps demons in life. But what do you think is the one thing that makes her iconic? I mean, what is almost 30 years since her passing? And and she is considered probably one of the great. You go Lucille Ball, Gilda Radner, you know, and then you start talking about other great like female Amy comedians. You know, so what is it that makes her so iconic? And can it be uh, I, I think encapsulated? That's a good question. I think that part of the reason, or a big part of the reason, is that she was brave and, and uh, she would try anything, um, but she was also brave enough to show her vulnerabilities and to express them. And I think so, it, it touched people on a human level. So you had it worked a couple of ways. It, um, yeah, she put on a wig and did a funny dialect as uh, Roseanne, Rosanna Dana, but you felt that you knew her. So it was like Gilda doing it. So it, there was a duality there. You know, a lot, so many um, actors or actresses are chameleons and they turn into the, the character that they uh, are portraying. But Gilda, Gilda was able to uh, transcend that. She snuck through whatever character she was doing, and you felt you knew the person who was doing it. Yeah, you don't exactly warm up to Daniel Day-Lewis. You're impressed, but you don't <laughs> warm up. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? You go, wow, that's really cool. You know, or when, um, you know, uh, what's his name? Uh, won the Oscar last year for... Um, doing Winston Churchill, Gary Oldman. You go, wow, that's great. You know, wow, he really looked like um, Churchill. But with Gilda, there was a little bit of a wink. There was a little bit of, um, uh, oh, look what Gilda's doing. Oh, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? And I think that that was really infectious. When I walked away from the movie just watching it last week, the one thing that struck me is a very similar idea that in this day and age with social media and YouTube and the way that celebrity is so important, I think Gilda would have owned that, but in a very lovely way, not in an exploitive way. Uh, are you talking about social media? Yeah. Social media as well as personality-driven. Well, you know something? When we Back then, it was a different time. There wasn't even cable. Mm -hmm. It was ABC, NBC, CBS. That was television, Okay. There was nothing like, there was no streaming. HBO hadn't really started doing any um, original programming for comedy. Fox didn't even. Uh, uh, so there was, if you wanted to watch television, you basically had three choices. So what I think was you had more time because there was less, uh, it wasn't as scattered, you know, where you had more time to uh, invest in somebody and get to know them and now i think it's harder what you have now yet is so many different outlets um and, and there's so many different opportunities but i think the lifespan is also shorter because um it's just so dispersed let me ask you uh what is your overall wish for gilda's legacy you've been involved in a number of projects about her what is your overall wish and how you want history to remember her and how you want the future to discover and and learn from her well, well i i would only wish wish for gilda and her legacy what i think that she would wish for herself so one was her wonderful body of work uh her comedy i think that she would uh be thrilled 
because, uh, like it says in the movie, laughter equals love for her, and the way that she's still making people laugh, uh, that's embracing. But I also think that um, the other thing that she would be very, very proud of is Gilda's Club. Yeah. You know, when she got sick, there was a place in uh, California, in Santa Monica, called the Wellness Center, which was a support uh, community for cancer patients and their families. And she found a home there. And she didn't have to be Gilda Radner there. She was another person, another person with cancer. And that was an equalizer to all these people that she loved and who loved her, not because she was Gilda, but because she was herself, her loving self, and they loved her as a person, not because of her celebrity. And uh, one of her last wish was that there would be a place like that, more places like that. That's how much it meant to her. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Gilda's Club, that Gene Wilder and Joanna Bull created um, uh, Gilda's Club, I, you know, I, I think there's 17 of them around the country now. Mm -hmm. I think that she would be thrilled, thrilled that um, that, that came about. Well, uh, Alan, this this kind of uh, uh, passionate talk and uh, and care for Gilda is on display in the film from all from all the test people giving testimonials. I mean, you found a wide range of people who you you love hearing from Bill Hader and Melissa McCarthy Can and Martin on? Short and right on down uh, to tell stories, and they're all like. Uh, like it was just talking to you right now. So we appreciate you letting us have a chat. I actually do have one more question before you go. And sure. We ask this of everyone who comes on the show, uh, a bit off topic. What is your favorite movie of all time? Wow. Um, <laughs> That's usually the response. The, the, the knee-jerk reaction would be uh, Godfather. Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I also, but... Can't be faulted. You know, uh, I, I also love The Natural. I... I yeah. um, Redford. You know, have you heard that one a lot too? No, no, no we have not, not. But I also want to say the natural was filmed in the next town over where I grew up. That was, it's such a small yeah, I world. I, I'm writing a script now with Barry Levinson, and I ask him about the filming of that movie every time we're together. Oh, that's so cool. All right, very cool. Yeah, so uh, Western New York, shout out to Western yes. New York. Hey, that's right. Uh, all right, Alan, well, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate it, um, and we're going to get back to talking to James. He's going to tell us even more stories. Okay, thanks a lot, guys. It's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you, Alan. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, so, I mean, talking to Alan's Y. Bell, outstanding. He, Alan's Y. Bell such a player that we were having that conversation when he was in the car. Look at you. Look at right? that. Yeah. yeah, he is badass. <laughs> Coming from a screening of Love Gilda. That's right. In Pleasantville, New York. Or Pleasanton, yep. New yeah. York. Did you know Pleasant him Bell. from the – was he involved in the – clip show the gilda's radner's greatest moments he was not involved in the clip show although because we use clips from snl the writers get a kind of a residual a reuse fee so oh, we got sense. a little cash from that right so then like, by the star ceremony you got to know him. yes Maybe. we yeah. got we certainly wanted we invited him to to be there and i he flew in that morning you know, literally from the airport Whew. wow um took a beeline to the hollywood and highland complex that's such a great guy. It's so I funny. I, I follow him on Instagram. Everybody actually should follow Alan yes. on Instagram. Uh, do you remember his handle, Paul? I 
don't. It's it might be the word I'll official or something. Maybe search his it, name. Yeah. He'll be the only Ellen Swipe. Yeah, yeah. You can <laughs> do a lower third later. I don't know. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll put a lower third with it and on you there. You got to read He's Bunny so Bunny great. though. I mean, you guys were brilliant in Bunny Bunny. Well, thank, thank you. you. In two thousand five, <laughs> I was the most uh, gentile Ellen Swipe. <laughs> I think you'll ever <laughs> you see. Very very. White. But uh, you know, our parents had cancer, so we wanted to do the show. Oh my gosh, so funny. <laughs> well, whenever we did Bunny Bunny, it's a play about Gilda Radner, and uh, we produced it out here in L.A. But we also brought it to my hometown of Jamestown, New York. And they have a comedy center there now. And Alan was one of the people that was brought to the comedy center in Jamestown to help initiate it. And when we were talking to Alan off um, off air, he just spoke wonderful things about the Jamestown Comedy Center. So I want to put out there for anybody listening to please go check it out. He was saying that the uh, exhibits are fantastic, state of the art. They really do a lot to capture the essence of comedy and to really celebrate it. And it's exciting that that is in a small little town. So I'm so happy that's going to help the economy of my people. Yay! And uh, and I, I thank Alan for going and doing that. And I have another little story real quick. So whenever the Comedy Center was having its opening, they had um, a, they have a big celebration every year for Lucille Ball Festival, but they also combined it. And my brother was uh, sitting in on a band there. He was playing in the park during um, Amy Schumer did her show. And then when people would walk around afterwards, they knew there was going to be a dedication of Dan Ackward's motorcycle. So they had the band playing, and so they ran up on stage and said, play something, Dan's coming. So my brother's like, we need to play Sweet Home Chicago. So they played Sweet Home Chicago. Dan heard it, came up on stage, and played with my brother. Yeah, he sang, my brother played guitar. And the whole thing was a huge success. So thank you to Alan and to Dan and everybody who came to my little hometown. That's great. Mm -hmm. Shout out to them. Absolutely. I mean, we want to do whatever we can to keep that place going. <laughs> and I like the yeah. name of your town, by the Jamestown. way. Jamestown. Uh, it's, it's good. Timiniaville was taken. Believe it or not, somewhere in Europe. Uh, so it was cool to hear Alan talk about him discovering Gilda's youth. I mean, obviously he knew her as an adult. And then, yeah. so as we all discovered yeah. in this film, her family life as a... As a Lots of footage, too, about... Uh, I guess she did so much uh, hamming it up for the camera, the parents couldn't stop... Putting the camera on her, so there's tons of footage of Gilda as a young kid. Looks a lot like Karen. I know. I, <laughs> causing trouble. Hey, yes, we <laughs> both were chubby kids. <laughs> yeah. And but she seemed like she had a pretty happy childhood overall. I mean, there was there was uh, setbacks you get. Well, when, when her dad passes away, yes, but, uh, that's uh, a big. Uh, but her dad didn't beat her, and she didn't uh, yeah, no. <laughs> have like an alcoholic mom or anything. And she had Dibby. Yeah, she had Dibby. Dibby, who the, the, idolized the her, and she idolized. Now her. remind me again, grandmother or neighbor? Uh, it was a hired, a hired person. person who was her nanny. Yeah. yeah, the inspiration for Emily Latella. Right, right. And oh. in and in in it's always something. The book that Gilda Radner wrote. There is a story in there which I used to do for a monologue for the longest time that Dibby told her about when she was a little girl and they had a dog and so the dog was out playing in the yard but the dad didn't see the dog and accidentally ran over its back leg. And so Dibby, the, they brought the dog to the house and they said, what are we going to do? And Dibby's mother's like, well, she's pregnant, by the way. The dog was pregnant. And they said, well, just sew her up. We'll figure it out. And so the little dog healed and it learned to walk by flipping its back legs over and taking two steps. It just taught itself, itself to walk because the beauty of what Gilda was saying is that dogs don't wallow. They just get on with it and they find a way to move it on and do their thing. So the puppy, the puppies came, the dog had these beautiful puppies and when they learned to walk, they all walked like her. Oh, they took two steps and flipped over great. their butt. 
<laughs> it's a great story, and it's because of Dibby, and, and that was something that she brought down, is that feeling of we all move on, we all get on with it, and we just find the best in it. And that's what I think Gilda did yeah, all the absolutely. time. that was her spirit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good to see Dibby in the film. You know, all the footage of Dibby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lots of footage, which is great, which is what you want in a doc. You, you don't want it to be all talking heads. I've seen some of those... <laughs> Uh, even if the, what they're saying is interesting, you got to have a film in there somewhere with editing and story. You know, I so believe it, this, this is probably this accomplishes that. This might have been one of the first documentaries in a long time that didn't have to use a crutch of some other um, method to get the story across. And I'm going to throw the Mr. Rogers documentary under the bus just for half a second, but not because I didn't like it. I loved it, but they were they had to intuit, they had to be um, use innovation to come up with the idea of that cartoon. I felt to thread it together. Okay, I'm going to actually go Which one I further. liked. There's animation in every documentary. I know, because you they need to thread it. can't do a documentary it. without animation yeah. nowadays. So but this one you didn't. No. And I noticed that immediately, that you did not have to find a thread. There was a thread. So James, at what point in the film did you cut the animation? <laughs> are, are we still recording? <laughs> no. You never had to get animation, did you? Gilda told her story. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. They, uh, Lisa found the audio tapes, and and that yeah. was, you know, that's you're very lucky. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. That is the one thing about this doc that uh, is the hook, and maybe you're like, oh, I've read her book, I know a lot about Gilda. It's in her own words is the whole sort of play on this film, right? Mm-hmm. So. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, and uh, there's two sources. There were her her audio tapes that she, herself audio tapes. She would in, uh, she would record her thoughts. Um, her life as she was preparing for her book, but then there's we, you know, there were excerpts from her book on tape. Does yes. anybody call it book on tape anymore? Um, book well, on audio MP3. Book. Audio that book. way, you. whatever audio we have in the future, the name still stands. Exactly. <laughs> It'll be holographic, and she'll just stand there and talk to you. Yeah, yeah but I, I didn't really listen to the audio tape as much as I was compelled to listen to her audio tapes. So, and that was tough because a lot of times it was. Very sad because this is it's like reading someone's yeah. personal diaries. It's, it's so personal. Know, you're having a bad day, it's in there. You're having a good uh, day, it's in there. You know, and that you'd have to walk away and just. It's in the film too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You process it and well, you can, I, anim- you can I, animate I, it with a polar bear walking around. Yeah, which they do a lot. <laughs> yep. um, going into the film, I knew I would end up crying because I just always do, just because it makes me so emotional. When I think about her, and I don't know why. Her and Gil- her and Gloria Stefan make me cry. Gloria, uh, uh, coming out of the dark. I can't. I met Gloria Stefan once, and I just was like, "Well, I'm crying now." And I'm sure I'd do the same thing with Gilda. I'd lose my brain. I wouldn't be able to handle it. But I think it's because I just not only love them, but want to have them be my best friend. I think we all women want a best friend like Gilda, just so strong and so funny and. I would just love to ask her what she thinks about all the things like with Me Too and, and all of the movements that women are making. I'm just so curious what she would think. Hmm. And I'm sure you that's two a, dudes couldn't tell me. So anyway. <laughs> well, it's women complain about stuff. No, I'm totally no, kidding. That's she'd a joke. be so interesting. Amy Poehler has, oh, not, I'm going to just plug her. She has an Instagram right now that's dealing with all those very same issues. I found it after I saw her in this movie. Start following that if you want an interesting female take on what's going on today. How did you become a big fan of hers? It started like you have a photo 
of yeah, backstage, you're backstage at the damn Broadway show. Uh, you, you saw the Broadway show. I saw, I so saw jealous. Alive, yes. Uh. So, so my brothers took me to see Gilda Radner on Broadway. I loved Broadway as a kid, and they took me to see Gilda Radner. You and have the greatest brothers I have ever. The, I have the most amazing That's brothers. That's what we're learning yes, right now. Yes. And well, the first time we went, the show was canceled, mm. and I was—I dev- didn't know what that meant. So I thought it was like oh. back in the day when you used to watch Carol Burnett show. At the end of the season, she'd say goodbye, and I'd, where are you going? What are you doing? <laughs> so I was like, no, 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 no. The box office is going to give us, you know, another set of tickets for another night. That's fine. So Center Orchestra <gasps> row K. So what is that? Oh, J is ten. K I know is what. Eleven. Eleven. Center. Oh my God. And there I am sitting watching Gilda Radner for two and a half hours no. doing Rosanna Rosanna Dana, Emily Latella, Nadia Comaneci, um, Rhonda Weiss, uh, Candy Slice, Judy Miller. And then and once she was doing her costume changes, Guido, Father Guido Sarducci would come out and, I love that. and entertain too. So what what an amazing night and I, and I you know I don't like to say this too much but I, I was a fanboy uh, in general so I had to go to the stage door and get her autograph and take a picture I wouldn't talk to her I, but I did ask her <laughs> can I have your autograph kind of thing and she she signed uh, she signed her name and I took snapped the picture and I was out of there because wow. this was it was just you know maybe half half hour later of hearing her sing honey. Uh, Touching oh, thy cry! And feeling time. so yeah. sad for her because you know, but but, oh. and then yeah, so uh, I, I did get to experience her for about three hours almost. That's amazing. So when you were standing there, because we all know that when you stand backstage and you wait for someone to come out, they don't go right to you. You have to watch them interact with other people. What was that like watching her interact right there in front of you and be herself? Like not performing, just talking to fans. Well, I, I know that I think if you see the picture, you'll see that I just got her as she opened the door. Oh, you were right there. You, you, okay. Yeah, I, and there was a woman with this lot of curly hair, which <laughs> and she, her hair is in the, the photo. But uh, <laughs> it was the '80s, my friend. If you see my Instagram post, you'll see a star over the hair, but I, I didn't know how to make it larger. <laughs> anyway, but I think it's a great clear photo of Gilda. Yeah. And then I remember her just coming. I think she probably gave an autograph to the woman uh, standing to my left. With all the hair, and then I was next. Um, put my book in front of her, and I think we actually had our playbills autographed as well. And I, I had bought, I bought a lot of Gilda um, merchandising at the show too. I think that you know that back in the day they used to do um, programs, yeah, not in addition to playbills, big like, programs yeah. with pictures. They, yes. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So I, I know I have that. S- somewhere. They have that um, for the on your feet. My husband did not <laughs> buy that for me when we went to see it, but anyway. Wow. Mr. Ugh. Volpe, man. Mr. Volpe, <laughs> wow. dropping the ball. It's <laughs> me, Mr. Volpe. <laughs> so, so then, did you become? Did you want to be a comedian? To became because you you act and you produce now. But what did you do first? Well, uh, well, I from from the moment I remember, I wanted to be an actor. And I, my father told me so. You'd have a, like so many houses in the in the world. We had our our Soul TV in the living room. And he told me that he would put the the people in the TV during the day, and uh, I could watch it. <laughs> but at night, to get me to sleep, you have they'd have to be removed because they have to go to sleep. Oh, so, that makes sense. And I wanted mm-hmm. to do that. I wanted to be the people placed in the TV, and yeah. maybe not taken out, you know, late at night. But <laughs> uh, and yeah, and I wanted to move to California too at a very early age. I was East Coast boy. So well, no wonder. Yeah. Where are you from? 
Born in Brooklyn, lived oh. on Staten Island. Yeah, so you experienced yeah. snow. Of course, you went oh, yeah, to yeah, California. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, yeah. That, but I don't, as a kid, that didn't bother me. No, it doesn't uh, bother you yeah. until you have to drive in. Yeah, exactly. And commute. And yeah, then it's stuff. different. Did you get into producing out of uh, excitement, necessity, or like, did you create your own projects or what? Well, I, when I moved to California, I needed to work, so I started. To, uh, yeah, I started to um, to work as a, a production assistant, and I can't remember the name of the first show. But I worked on a movie called Dead Man Walking, not the one with Sean, Sean Penn. Penn, but another one. Right. Oh. And I had my first appearance uh, on the big screen in that movie. I played a zombie. You'd be great as a, a zombie. zombie and there's a lot of zombie call now. You could use that on your resume. <laughs> yeah. You'd be get some great work. as a zombie. How's that feel? <laughs> <laughs> So guys, like, wow! I'm. A, I. That's when I knew I wanted to. Uh, I wanted to pursue this, but I had to, you know, pay the bills. So I, I got into production and and then started. I had to pay the bills, so I got into production. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, well, there's two well, types of people in Hollywood. Yeah, let's be, Those. Let's be clear. That went very well too. Yeah, that's the case. <laughs> well, no, check this out. So there's a couple of kinds of people in Hollywood. There's the people that tell people what to do, the people in production. Then there's the people waiting to be told what to do, which are the actors. Yes. So you said, hmm, which one of those people are getting paid? Well, yeah. <laughs> I see. When you're up for a production job, usually usually there's like five or six people, maybe. Maybe. When you're up for an acting job. Oh, everybody. You know, a cast yeah. of thousands. So it's all the numbers, but, you know, it's not. It's just like our friends who have, we went to um, school and, and got degrees in acting. Well, um, our smart friends got degrees in production, and they're all working they're on all Broadway. Working. Yeah. Constantly. Wow. Yes. <laughs> wigs, wigs, set design um, and construction. Yeah, and we have a friend who dressers and all that. works for um, he did work for Neil Diamond. He did his lighting design or yeah. something. Works all the time. Uh, another friend who's just opening the Met season opera. He'll just be fine for the rest of the year, working oh. all the time. Another friend's a dresser on Frozen. They do yeah. wigs for the Santa Fe Opera. Very successful you friends. Got into that. <laughs> But so then you went Smart on to uh, create shows that have titles like this, 50 Years of Funny Females and TV's Great Sidekicks. Or you had shows that are like, looks at a very specific, yeah, a very specific uh, comedian like Jerry Lewis, Total Filmmaker, The Three Stooges, Greatest Hits, and uh. Bob Hope, Laughing with the President. So you've worked with a bunch of legends at this legends. point. Legends. Yes. How, how crazy is that? Yeah. I, I produced Bob Hope's last special for NBC. It was called Bob Hope Laughing with the President. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he mm-hmm. met, I think, at that point, um, President Clinton was in office. I think it was his first term. And so Bob Hope, and I think the first president Bob Hope met was FDR, so like 1930s. Wow, you are yeah. showing so, his age. Yeah. Okay. The, the exciting thing about that was we, we got I got to go to the White House to meet the Clintons. Okay. Oh, that's cool. Got to go to Kennebunkport. Oh. <gasps> Meet the Bushes. Because really? you interviewed them? We interviewed them. We interviewed the Fords at the at Bob Hope's house in Palm Springs. That's really cool. So that was, yeah, that was a wild experience. And you were just like a teenager back a baby. then. Yes. Good yes, for you. Exactly. All right. uh, and then uh, I think one of the, the, the most fun I had was on TV's Greatest Sidekicks. Because we, what the the premise was to get everybody together uh, on a soundstage and have them talk uh, about working together, their shows. And so we got uh, the ladies from 227, from the Mary Tyler Moore show. But the coolest thing for me, I lo- and I love the Mary Tyler Moore show, but it was wild to get the Golden Girls together. Oh, wow. Well, you you have all sorts of connections with the Golden Girls. That was, yeah. yeah. That, that was. And That's amazing. The, and Betty White was great, and Rue McClanahan was great. She flew in from New York. And Be- Beatrice Arthur, who lived in L.A., she uh, lived in Brentwood. 
I, I would call her up and she was insistent on driving herself. And I don't remember, and I don't want to, oh. you know, and I think she's probably in her 70s. And, I, you know, people can drive in their 70s, but we want to send you a car <laughs> so you're going to get there in time. We don't tell her that. And yeah, get home of course. And make yeah. it easy. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drive. I'm going to drive myself. I don't need your car. And the day before, uh, two days before, I confirmed, okay, we're sending the car, set it up. The day before, we're shooting her interview or her appearance in the show with Betty White and Rue McClanahan. She calls me up and she says, James. I'm not doing it, and I my heart just <gasps> sunk. I oh, no. I hear I, what I heard was I'm not doing the I'm show. I'm not doing the show. <gasps> Took a beat. She says, "Yeah, why don't you just send the car over?" Oh, oh my god! <laughs> wow. Because <laughs> how do you do an older girls reunion without, without Dorothy? Oh. And we were also doing a Maud reunion. Did I say oh, Maud? Maud. Maud. That is Maud. a you that's, get two for the price of that's one. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, good. Maud reunion, <laughs> and you can't just do it with uh, Rue McClanahan. No. You just, I mean, you can, but you can't. Yeah. Right. I mean, she's not. She was. I, I don't remember the character's name, but. <laughs> I love your connection of very funny women. I just think that's cool. Good for you. That's yes. not a question. Not, oh, okay. That's yeah. just me yeah. telling you. Women are funny. Good for you. I, yeah. Well, I would think women, so. Yeah. Uh. Well, the latest funny woman in uh, one of James Tamania's projects, of course, is Gilda Radner. Love Gilda in theaters right now. And also on multiple platforms if you are lazy. It is a rather cinematic film, though, so I suggest Beautiful. the theater while mm -hmm. you can see it. Um, but have you seen anything else lately? This is a good time for docs right now. Yeah. Um, and specifically, I'm on a jag with uh, docs about artists. And if you go see all the docs in theaters right now about artists, you're going to be inspired. There's yeah, a great absolutely. one about Terrence McNally called Every uh, Frame of Life. That's no, not true. Every Act of Life. That sounds good. Uh, we I don't know. I saw it a so you're right. Ago. I saw it a little while ago, but it's coming out soon. Uh, Terrence McNally, uh, the great screenwriter and, and stage writer. Um, and then Hal, the documentary about Hal Ashby, the filmmaker who did not make enough movies, uh, but he made Being There and Harold and Maude and like, everything that's awesome from the 70s, Shampoo, The Last Detail. And you come away from all these docs, including the one, uh, this one, just like inspired, and you want to see or create art. Yeah, and get to know someone. I, I did see the Whitney Houston documentary, and I felt like I was at a funeral. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and I don't mean that. And I just because what a it was a really painful, yeah, oh, no. painful to watch um, her life. Like obviously, unfold. Gilda and uh, Whitney both passed away, and so you know, going in, Karen said this when we were going to oh. go. She's like, I'm not ready for the sad parts, but let's like go the see sad it. Part. But uh, it's a shame the Whitney movie wasn't more about her, like. Exploring her greatness, mm -hmm. did no. it then? But then it quickly dove into like the drugs and stuff. Oh. Yeah, yeah. It was nice to see um, Gilda not dealing with all that. I know she had her own demons and, and things, but I sometimes when you watch it behind the music, you just go, "When do the drugs start?" <laughs> so at least with this, you're not waiting for the drugs to start. You know. Well, and what what's great about Gilda, even she always found the funny mm -hmm. in things and, and not that it was ever masking the pain because there was pain oh yeah she was human too but she, as Alan said you know she would she she showed up on the Gary Shandling show and it, very painful subject matter but she wanted to bring comedy to it you know give it that spin and she did it and uh, it's it's hard to watch uh, and uh, you know knowing that the end was you know Ugh. how it ended for her but there's anyway. a scene in Bunny Bunny that Alan writes and I remember when we were perf when we were doing the show, you know, we were in rehearsal and we were trying to figure out what everything means and, and you're inside of the material. And there was this one moment where 
Alan beautifully writes that very idea, and Gilda goes to see Alan when he got a job writing out here for Gary Shandling. She goes to his rented house and sits down and tells him that she has cancer. And he goes, what can I do? And then she just said, make me laugh. Mm. That killed me every night. Because that's all she knew how to... If you can make her laugh, it'll be okay. If she can make people laugh, it'll be okay. But at that moment, I think she... I understood it that at that moment, maybe she didn't have it in her. And she needed help to be funny and find funny. So. And who better yeah. than her then Alan. lifelong collaborator? Yeah. That's cool. See that show. I, does, I do hope it comes to Broadway. Well, James, we can't let you go without asking the big question. Big question. I hope Uh-oh. you're prepared. Everybody who comes on the show, we ask, what is your favorite movie of all time? And you had time to prepare because we told you last week. Oh, you did? Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Was that it? Yeah. The if you, yeah. Okay. if you didn't regret your choice the moment it comes out of your mouth, then you're, you're, you're not a guest on the show. Because <laughs> everybody does. Everybody does. No. Alan did good. He jumped right in, but he, everyone wonders. Yeah. M- mine is Moonstruck. Oh, great movie. Uh, I, I just it. took the poster down for Moonstruck to put up, up Haunted Honeymoon. Yeah. Moonstruck's because awesome. Because that's a classic. Oh Cher is awesome in that. Yes. Cher. So good. And Shanley's writing. That's Shanley's writing? Yeah. Oh, Oscar, I, thought, Oscar, I thought it was Gary Shanley. No, no. Shanley. John Patrick Shanley. Now you can see why never, I'd be like, what? Never have I seen an Irishman know so much about the Italians. Yeah, exactly. Amazing. It was brilliant. <laughs> so good. And, and as an Italian-American, I think he captured the yeah. essence, the... the um, the way of the phrasing, uh, the situations, the, f- the importance psychology. Of food. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Family at a table. Yes. In Norman Jewison's direction. <sighs> that that's one Again, of those a, movies. A Canadian. What's he know? <laughs> just, they all worked above their. They brought the yeah. the top of their knowledge to subjects that weren't ingrained in them. Yeah. It was great. Every time Moonstruck is on, I usually for some reason catch see it on TV. In November, December, because it does, play, it, does, it does take place around Christmas. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the reason. I, I will stop everything and watch it and, and sit there and talk back to the, the and quote and, and laugh and cry. and. You're having your own Rocky <laughs> Horror. Absolutely. Then please Absolutely. tell me the John Mahoney quote when a girl leaves his table. What's the line? It's like, clean everything up. I don't want any memory of her and give me a big glass of gin. I got to get that exact line down because it's so great. In college, Paul would run around and and every now and then he would take his hand and put it in his sleeve and then he would do the whole Nicolas Cage thing. Well, that one I got down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing nothing is nobody's fault, but sometimes things happen. My brother Johnny came in here and was asking for some bread. I said, okay, (laughs) some bread. So I put my hand in a slicer because I wasn't paying any attention and the slicer chewed off my hand. But that's it? That's the bad blood between you and Johnny? Yes, that's it. I don't see that's not Johnny's fault. I don't care! <laughs> I ain't no freaking monument to justice! Et cetera, et cetera. Oh. I, that's the greatest yeah, monologue of us. I think bread, what is bread? Bread, bread, bread. <laughs> and, and then Chrissy. What is life? Saying, they say bread is life. I mean, it's just the greatest. Like Chrissy, you know. Chrissy, bring me the knife! I won't, I won't do it! I won't do it! I'm in love with that man, but he doesn't know because I never told him. Because the torment, most tormented man I ever yes. know. And, ma- and the mother, uh, She's you great. love him, Loretta. Olympia uh, Dukakis, Oscar. Yes. Shanley, Oscar. Yes. Uh, and we. Share. Uh, I think I started. Oscar. Share, Oscar. Oscar yes. Tough year. 1987 is my favorite year of all time for movies. You picked, 19... that, picked a good 87. Oh, yes. Yeah. Fatal Attraction. Broadcast News, Fatal Attraction, Wall Street, The Untouchables, Lethal Weapon, Raising Arizona, Princess yeah. Bride. I mean, you can just go on. Dirty it's Dancing, maybe now? Or is that. Uh, I want to say it was 88. Meatballs? No, that's well, that like earlier. Oh, okay. yeah. or something. Um, yeah, that's before Ghostbusters. Space balls. A balls show <laughs> movie was in there. Yeah, space All right, balls. now we're just geeking out. Yes. But, uh, yeah, and that's 
I mean, there were so many great movies that came out then. And I think we started making toast with the hole cut out in the middle and an egg dropped in it because of Moonstruck. Yeah, the Moonstruck. Because Olympia Dukakis made that uh, meal. And yeah. there was a bakery, the Camarari Bakery. Been there. Is, is, yeah, yeah, okay. It's in, oh. Brooklyn. in Brooklyn. That's in your hometown, right? Well, well not near me, but because no. I think that was closer to the Brooklyn or Manhattan Bridge. There's mm-hmm. one in New Jersey now. They moved out. Oh, yeah, they branched out like so. Like so many, the Bro- Brooklynites they moved from Brooklyn to Staten Island to New Jersey. <laughs> they just keep go getting west, further away. Go Soon west. they're going to be in Santa Monica. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you picked a good one. I love that movie, uh, and that, because I mean, how do you not give the Oscar to uh, Holly Hunter for broadcast news? Well, when Cher is nominated, uh, it's a tough year. No. Uh, that wraps another TMG interview, everybody. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the Movie Guys and Facebook.com slash the Movie Guys, as well as YouTube, iTunes, Instagram. It, Speaking of Instagram, uh, Alan's Wybell official. There you go. And he, he, you know, follow this guy. You need some followers. Love you, Alan. Follow Alan's Wybell. Uh, and you follow us. You get the daily jokes, articles, media links, and more. Thanks to James Tamania. Where are we following you? Are we following you? You can follow just me on follow the Instagram. Okay. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't really tweet, but Instagram. Yeah. James Tuminia, straight up. James Tuminia, yes. And lovegilda.com. Lovegilda.com. Oh, I have to. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and if you'd like to see uh, James's ass, tune into a 2005 oh, episode of The Shield. Wow. There you go, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. And as ever, you can find out. <laughs> let, me, let me get right on that. You can find out everything we're up to, including reviews, <laughs> articles, and more at themovieguys.net. Thank you, James. Yay, James. Oh, we had just met you. That was great about what just met. Hey, I'm going to be on The Shield in there. And then there was his butt. Because it's the shield. But I didn't tell you, right, about the butt. Well, you not. can't warn people about that. I'm going to okay. be on the shield. Okay, yeah. I, I, hey, I, I, was he lying? <laughs> not so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>